Broadcasting from deep in the Eublifaris galaxy, on a small planet called Gekonia, east of the albino hills and south of the raging leucistic river, comes the one, the only, Gecko Nation Radio. Good evening, citizens of Geckonia. I hope everybody is doing good out there in the Gecko Nation. Uh, if you're listening to the sound of my voice, you love geckos and all reptiles. And uh, I just want to welcome everybody to tonight's show. Today is March 16th, 2014. Uh, hey, Angela. Hey, everybody in the chat room. I see Angela, Brooke, John, Chrissy, Steve, and Wendy so far. Um, Tonight's going to be a great show. We're going to cover a bunch of different topics tonight. And um, I have with me uh, two of my just favorite people in the community. And uh, Chrissy and John from Loki Reptiles are uh, just two great people, good people in this. And uh, we've become friends from uh, vending at the New York show together uh, over the last couple of years. And uh, we're going to talk about expos. We're going to talk about what it takes to vend at expos. We're going to talk about fat tail geckos, and in particular, we're going to talk about an interesting um, experience that John and Christy have done recently where they actually imported wild-caught fat tails, and uh, basically, there's, you know, if you're importing, if you're getting, acquiring wild-caught anything, you know, you get, it's, it's tricky to get them to survive these days because, you know, the, the process that gets them there, they're, they're actually, sometimes they come in with diseases and parasites and this and that. But uh, I really commend what they've done to to uh, get these fat tails uh, just basically healthy and acclimated well to captivity. So we're going to talk about that too. And uh, I think what's going to be the most popular discussion tonight is going to be about keeping and breeding different species of roaches, including duvias, uh, orange heads. And uh, they also work with some really obscure species like dominoes and question mark roaches, which are really interesting. So uh, tonight's going to be a good show, guys. And... Um, I want to just mention also that uh, everybody in the group Gecko Nation is, I just got to tell you, I love this group on Facebook. If you guys uh, are listening and you're not a member of the Gecko Nation group, uh, please join. It's just a really positive, friendly, great place to learn and have fun, and we're always doing something cool in there. And uh, it's just going so well. I'm really surprised. I never thought it would be as good as it is. We get about... 100 new members per week now, and it's growing at a, just a ridiculous rate. I think we're almost at 1,600 or uh, maybe even 1,700 members. I'm not sure. Somewhere around there. And it's only a few months old, so it's phenomenal. And uh, But also, uh, tonight, I want to just give a really sincere thank you to our sponsors because this show would not be possible without them. And uh, also, a reminder... Uh, last week's episode with Cresty Central, they were gracious enough to uh, give a special discount to the listeners all week long. That ends tonight, so um, you can use GNR10, all in capitals. GNR10 is the code at checkout, CrestyCentral.com. If you guys need incubators, they're doing a special deal. You're going to get 10% off one of their incubators, and you're going to get a free bag of vermiculite. They have hubabaters. They have the... Uh, which one is it? The Exoterra incubator. 
uh, and they have all kinds of crusty, crusted gecko supplies. So definitely uh, take advantage. Also, a standard discount at avdragons.com. You get 5% in your order. Just type in gecko at checkout. Um, and, uh, and also, with, the other, uh, with our other uh, sponsors, mention the show. They're going to take care of you. Okay? Um, all right. Well, let's go ahead and check out the sponsors to the show. And uh, I just want to sincerely thank them for, uh, for being there for us. And here you go. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Grepcal, Fluker, and much, much more, and all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com, or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. Rainbow Mealworms is the largest worm grower in the world and selling to the public since 1956. If you need the highest-quality mealworms, superworms, and crickets, For your pets, contact them at www.rainbowmealworms.net. abdragons.com is your source for the highest quality dubia roaches, whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps. abdragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt reptile heat tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. Ohio Gecko is famous for amazing tangerines, snows, and other very unique leopard gecko projects. Thad also has some incredible fat tail morphs available from stingers to starbursts. Visit him online at ohiogecko.com and at expos in the Northeast. He is also the owner of geckoforums.net. Reptiles Express is the absolute best live animal shipping company with great low rates. Debbie is the queen of customer service and will make sure your precious cargo gets to where it needs to. They also have a wide array of shipping supplies from deli cups, snake bags, heat packs, and more. Visit reptilesexpress.com and become a member today. Supreme Gecko is a great source for crested geckos, day geckos, and other species, including micro geckos. Wally Kern is a top-notch breeder and gecko enthusiast. Visit SupremeGecko.com for his available animals and supplies. Uh, that's right, everybody. 
check out our amazing sponsors. Okay, now one of the other things that uh, Gecko Nation Radio is proud to be associated with is Gecko Forums. And a lot, you know, Facebook today stole a lot of action from a lot of the great forums that are out there. And you know, that's that's okay because Facebook's you know got a much faster way of connecting with people, but the content and the history, you know, is still in these forums. So, you know, there is one in particular that is the absolute best for gecko enthusiasts, and that's this one. Did you know that since 2006, there's been a treasure trove of history and information on leopard geckos and other species? Well, Gecko Forums is the most extensive database of leopard gecko history on the web right now. Take a look and delve into the past, present, and future of this great community. The biggest contributors, breeders, and hobbyists have left their mark there. Now it's your turn. Look, learn, and post away. Need a place to post animals for sale? Look no further. Visit geckoforums.net and become a member today. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to be the official radio show associated with Gecko Forums. That's right, everybody. We are proud. And I also want to mention that uh, Gecko Nation Radio's affiliate is uh, Herpentine Radio. And if you're looking for more uh, great reptile talk radio, check out Herpentine. Um, they're also on Block Talk. All right. Everybody, we're going to get started. We're going to jump right in to our interview. And I'm going to go ahead and bring on Chrissy and John from Loki Reptiles. Chrissy and John, you are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, Dave. Hi, Dave. Hey, how are you doing tonight? Good. Good. How are you great. guys doing? Cool. You guys uh, excited I'm to do the great. show? Yes, very excited. <laughs> a little nervous, too, I bet? A little bit nervous. <laughs> it's a, I'm always nervous, but it's it's a good nervous. You know, it's every, every time I do the show, I get a little bit more comfortable. But I think this is going to be an easy one because, you know, we're used to talking to each other anyway. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, I, yeah. Before we go into the news segment, I let, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves. Uh, tell us a little bit about Loki Reptiles and what you do. And, uh, and then we'll go on and bring on Steve. Okay. Um, basically, we, uh, we breed uh, leopard geckos. Uh, fat tail geckos, and different types of cockroaches, pet, and feeder roaches. Um, our main feeders are dubia roaches, obviously. Uh, we have Turkestan. Um, we have a couple of larger breed uh, feeders, um, discoids, things like that. And then we have um, hissers, um, which are pet roaches, a couple of different types of hissers. Um, we have uh, more fancy exotic ones like dominoes and question marks. Um, but basically, we just uh, we just have our geckos and our bugs. Yeah, cool. Um, John, where did you get those those question mark ones and those dominoes from? Those are really interesting. Um, I actually got them from some other people that I've gotten to know over the years. It's, it's funny mm-hmm. when you get into the pet trade, you you start kind of trading things back and forth. You know, you you have one cool thing and somebody else has something else, and you kind of swap. Right. So I, I got oh, I know, that's from a... <laughs> Yeah, I got those from <laughs> a trade like that. 
Oh, that's cool. And now you guys, you guys cook roaches with every meal, don't you? You eat them every night for dinner, right? Olive oil and salt. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh man, you know that's funny because you know today I hear that in the future more and more people are going to be actually eating insects. Have you heard that? Well, most cultures actually do that. Um, You know, it's just sort of us Western people who find them gross, but they're they're supposedly very good for you. Mhm. I was talking. They say um, if you ever. Go ahead. I was going to say if they say that if you ever get like stranded in the wilderness, that the first thing you should do is eat bugs because they're just so filled with like good proteins and stuff, and uh, they'll they'll keep you alive a lot better than a lot of other things. Well. Right. I know. I I remember. I think it was. I want to say it was Jillian from Rainbow, but maybe it wasn't. Um, I think I saw somewhere that you know, um, that people are going to be using mealworms in particular uh, as a food source in the future. And it's, it's actually becoming popular now. Like, people actually buy mealworms for food, which is just, you know, out of this world to me. I don't know. I think it's crazy. But. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> I, mean, I guess, you know, I guess if food's scarce and if you're ever in a situation where, you're stranded somewhere. Yeah, I mean they're going to eat bugs. That's it. There's no way around they, it. I think if you're uh, if you're in those situations, you'll do anything. Right. I guess in those situations, if you're hungry enough, uh, it, it probably will be good. Maybe you'll acquire a good taste for them. Who knows? But uh, right. <laughs> that's a, that's interesting. All right. Well, I'm really looking forward to the show with you guys tonight, and I'm looking forward to getting into those those topics. And uh, but before we get started, we have to bring on our esteemed news anchor, Mr. Steve Barker, and Good evening, Gekonians. Oh, yeah. What's up, Steve? Ah, uh, not much. What's going on? Hey, Steve. Not too much. Hi, how you doing? Good, how are you? Pretty good. Hey, Steve. All right, tell us. Hey. Tell us you got good news. Um, I'm going to be moving. That's good news. Right. Okay. Well, that is cool. Yeah. But uh, good news in the reptile community? Yeah. Not too much. No. 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 There's no, no good news. <laughs> Jeez. I know. All right. Well, let's hear it. All right. I got a lot of snake stories. So... Hailing a cab in New York City is a challenging task in and, in and itself, but once you get one to pick you up, the last thing you're expecting is to share your ride with a snake. <laughs> Author, comedian, and sometimes cab driver, Jimmy Fala never warned the public in advance about having a giant 14-foot Burmese python riding shotgun. Now, this was done as a, like a practical joke, and um, Mm -hmm. there's a video and everything, and I just, I'm totally against it. I mean, it's, these people just, you know, they're just trying to get a ride, and you know, they get in and there's a 14-foot python that's coming through from the front seat at them, and they're no. literally, 
they're flipping out. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. It really is. I mean, I cannot believe that. I don't know. To me, this guy, it. I don't know. To me, he should have been charged with assault or something. I mean, no one was hurt. No one, you know, no one was bit or anything. But I mean, it's that's just ridiculous. It doesn't help us at all. No, uh, definitely not. The city taxi and limousine commission and PETA blasted oh, yeah, the of course. Yeah, blasted the comic for monumentally poor judgment and threatened to revoke his taxi and limousine commission license. And to be honest with you, if he's going to do stupid stuff like this, he shouldn't have that license and he shouldn't have that Burmese python. My opinion. I agree. But, but yeah. yeah. I, it kind Jeez. of really upset me when I saw that. Yeah, that makes me mad. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Like, like, isn't he aware that... Um, is it, well, you're talking about New York City now. Isn't it against the law to have yeah. a Burmese python in New York anyway? Uh, New yeah, last, last time I knew it was, yeah. Huh. Actually, yeah, it is New New York State. It is illegal to own unless you have a permit. But I I don't know exactly New York City's laws, so he Very could have a, a yeah any constrictor. I believe in New York City you can't have. Yeah, I'm not I'm not positive on that, but I know New York State you're not you have to have a special license or permit to have a Burmese python. Right. So. Yeah, that's kind of, that's very upsetting, actually. Yeah. So that that leads us into our next story, where a dog owner was left distraught after discovering her beloved pet had been eaten by a giant python. The Australian woman found the large snake curled up in the animal's outdoor kennel with the her dog's chain still dangling from its mouth. Now, when I, when, uh, I first read, when I first read that, the first thing I thought of was Jurassic Park with the Tyrannosaurus Rex that <laughs> ate the dog yeah. and had the chain dangling from its mouth. But um, yeah, it was a ghost. Yeah, she had her her dog was a possum-sized Chihuahua Maltese cross inside a uh. kennel leaving it unable to escape from the hungry python. And that was in Australia. It didn't say what type of snake, but it kind of looks like a carpet python to me. But uh, a pretty big carpet, it, right? It, oh, yeah. It, it's hmm. native, though, anyways, to Australia. Right. Okay. So, and to our next story... Behind the door of an apartment in Fresno, California, came the screams for help from a 12-year-old boy that a neighbor heard Nick Johnson kicked down the door and could not believe what he saw. A large snake wrapped around the boy. Nick pulled the snake off and killed it. The snake was an 8-foot pet Burmese python the family had for several years. So wow. he he pulled it off and killed it. Okay. Yeah. Then <laughs> it leads us to our next story, which I have a couple of articles on the same story. And it's interesting mm-hmm. because this article says Burmese python found behind Bandera Lodge, which is 
That's the title of the article. The next article says, Giant Huge Snake Found on Riverbank. They're both based on the same thing. It's an eight-foot... The first article says, An eight-foot-long Burmese python was discovered in Bandera, Texas last week. No longer alive, the non-native reptile was already dead when it was found in a coil behind the Bandera Lodge near the river. Authorities do not know how the snake got into the area, but speculated it was someone's pet that either escaped or was let loose and believed that it may have frozen to death overnight. Now, the other article shows a photo and says that it's a boa constrictor. It's not a Burmese python. <laughs> so, Jeez. Yeah. All right. But, uh, you know, the average person, somebody might not know that, and they're just going to, oh, there's another Burmese python out there, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I wish, exactly. I wish it, you know, try to be a little accurate. <laughs> but, all right, and our next horrible story. In Prescott, Arizona, a heating unit in an aquarium used to house a boa constrictor caused an electrical fire in a home. Two adults and six children were at the house. They called 911, and everyone got out of the house safely. The cause, yeah, the cause was likely an electrical problem in the heating unit. The boa constrictor survived the fire. They they managed wow. to get the snake out too. So that that's kind of cool. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. they had, had they had a fire, but and they did put the fire out, and it was minimal damage. So. So that's kind of cool that, you know, it wasn't too bad. Right. Okay. And you guys were talking about eating strange things. So (laughs) (laughs) a Manhattan theatrical agent got a slithery surprise in her kale salad, salad when she found a severed lizard head among the leafy greens. Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. Now, in the article, it says, uh, let's see, um, the, the, the deli manager says, I've never even seen a lizard in New York. But probably <laughs> where, wherever the liz- wherever they had whatever was in the sale it came from is where that lizard came from, probably. <laughs> what kind of lizard is it? Uh, the head kind of looks like an anole. Not sure, though. Okay. They didn't. They didn't say <laughs> specifically what kind. But oh that, man! So it must have. It must have been inside one of those. I bet you it was like inside, like some romaine lettuce or something, maybe. And the guy yeah. was chopping it up, and you know. Yep. Yep. Jeez. Yep. Oh my God, that's crazy. Yeah. It says. Uh, <laughs> it says it was the craziest thing. A few after a few bites, I looked. I look down at my fork and think, oh, is that a piece of asparagus? And then I saw that it had eyes and an arm. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably pretty healthy. (laughs) Well, at least you can say it's fresh. Yeah. Right. (laughs) All right. So I'll I'll give the, the recap. Okay. Snakes on a cab. <laughs> right. A python swallowed my dog. 
Snake attack in Fresno. Giant, huge snake found on riverbank. Not a Burmese python. Reptile heating pad starts fire. And woman finds lizard head in salad. That's the recap. One of those are fake. All right. You guys know, you guys in the chat room know how this works. And, um, of course, our guests know how, how this works. I'm going to let Chrissy go first, ladies first. Chrissy, which story do you think the, is the false? The one with the snake ate the dog. The snake ate the, the dog. Snake. Okay. What do you think, John? Um, I think I would say the cab. Snake in the, the cab. cab story? Yes. Okay. I want the cab story to be false. Um, hmm. I don't think it is, though. I think I think it's going to be true. Hmm. I'm going to go with the snake, snake on the riverbank. I think that <laughs> one's going to be the false story. What do you guys think in this, the chat room? Um, Dave Durham says the snake attack in Fresno. Yeah, that's the one. I'm going to go with that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, let's hope that's false. What do, you, what do you say, Steve? Yep, that's a false story. Oh, great. Thank Snake God. Snake attack in Fresno. Yeah. I'm still upset about the cab, though. Yeah, that, that, that pisses me off big time. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. All right, cool. Good good guys. Good good there, Dave. All right. We also have... <laughs> yeah. And now, a moment in Herp history. On July 16, 1932, pythons staged dramatic fight to death over pig. In Philadelphia, evidence of a jungle-like drama in the snake house of the Philadelphia Zoo was revealed to to keepers when they found a large python crushed to death by another python in a struggle over a 25-pound pig. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, where was this? Uh, where this one happened? Philadelphia Zoo, 1932. The, oh wow! Okay. Yeah, the thick glass of the enclosure was shattered, and other marks about the cage indicate that the two huge reptiles—one was 20 feet long, the other was 18—had engaged in a battle to the death. The 18-foot snake lay dead in the corner, while in another corner. Placidly coiled was the victor, a huge bulge in his middle, indicating that he had won not only the battle, but the pig as well. And that snake had not eaten in 18 months prior to that. Wow. And, of course, a lot of us know, snake keepers know, you don't keep two snakes together and feed them at the same time. Right. (laughs) No way. Well, I had a friend that, um, this was when I was a kid, he had a boa constrictor and a ball python living together. And uh, he he fed them together one time. Uh, right, actually, I think he threw one or one mouse or two mice in there, and he wasn't paying attention. And, you know, I guess one of the snakes, the snake, I don't know how it happened, but the end result was there 
there was only a boa constrictor left at the end of that feeding. And uh, obviously what, what happened was, you know, one of the snakes, they were probably eating the, the same rodent at one point, and, you know, the boa constrictor just started swallowing the other snake little by little. And, you know, I wondered, I, I wondered about how that could happen and how when I was a kid I didn't understand how the snake wouldn't, you know, try to, you know, get himself out of that kind of situation. But when they're feeding, they're kind of like zoned out. And, yeah. you know, they're just, they're focused on that one thing, right? Yeah. And yeah, so they're like, another snake, like in a trance or something. Yeah. Hypnotized, yeah. So, hypnotized or something. Right, right. And uh, you know, once it's in the stomach, there's, you know, if you don't get to them quick, that's it. Done deal. Yeah. And, uh, wow. Interesting. So, Steve, tell us about your move and what's going on. What are you doing over there? Um. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping... Uh, we we put a purchase offer in and it was accepted on a new house and hopefully right around the middle of May we'll be moving to a bigger house nice. and congratulations that means, that means I'm going to have more room <laughs> so I can get some more uh, animals. <laughs> yeah more geckos more snakes yeah yep cool. set some more racks I'm happy up for you. yeah mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that uh Next weekend, we'll find out on, on next Sunday's show if I have any eggs from my uh, ball pythons. Because I'm oh, pretty sure cool. at least one, I'm estimating around the 22nd, will be laying. So hopefully, nice. I'll be able to tell nice. you guys next weekend I've got some ball python eggs. That'll be great. Yeah. Awesome. What, are you, what are you planning on moving? I guess it's, all, it's, not, it's not settled yet or... Um, yeah, it depends on the closing. I mean, as soon as they say that we're good to go, then, then I'll, I'll be, I'll be moving. <laughs> cool. Hopefully right around June 1st would be nice. So, nice, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that'd be, that'll be great. I'm happy for you. Awesome. Thank you. All right, cool. Steve, thank you so much for the news and, uh, best of luck on all that. Hope that goes well. And, um, why don't you give out your information for everybody so they can find you? Um, check me out on Facebook and YouTube under BC Barker Creations. That's right. All right. We will see you next Sunday, Steve. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. All right. Take care. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. Thanks, Steve. You too. He's an awesome news anchor, isn't he? Yeah, he's the best. <laughs> it's just a, that's a great job for us. I mean, I just love everything else. We, he and I were talking. We're going to do some some really cool things for the show soon. So, um, you guys, I think you guys will like it. Got some good ideas. Um, all right. Well, we talked earlier, guys, about what we were going to discuss tonight. I think uh, let's start out with uh, let's talk about how we met at the expos. And I know there's a lot of people out there that are starting to you know, grow their collections, and when people start growing their collections, the next thing they got to do is find a way to sell their animals that they're breeding and their offspring, and sooner or later, some of them progress to the point where they, they want to vend at expos, and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, some of your experiences uh, vending at expos? Okay. Do you want me to start? Yeah, sure. Go yeah, ahead, go ahead. All right. Well... I started probably close to 12 years ago vending at 
expos. I, I was working for a company that actually wholesaled reptiles, and that's actually where I got my start. Oh. I never actually went to a reptile show before I, I was vending at shows. Hmm. So you actually worked for a, a reptile wholesaler? Yes, I did. That's pretty interesting. Um, I did. I didn't know that. What, that, what was that, that like? That's where I got a lot of my experience with reptiles. Really? Yes. Wow. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that, if you will. Well, that was probably back in early 2000. Um, it, was, it was an interesting experience. It, you know, I don't even know where to start. Towards the end, part of my job was to... Um, we had a, a specific room that we used for imports um, that part of my daily tasks. Um, and in that room, we'd have anything that was newly imported, like some tortoises that needed to be medicated or, you know, any sick animals that might, ha might have been pulled would go into that room. And that was part of my work. Um, mm -hmm. It was... It was a, a fairly large building. It, it used to be a um, six-car garage for up for trucks, truck garage um, that okay. was converted over. And uh, so we had it was open actually to the public as well. And we had a, a, a large alligator enclosure, um, and we had probably close to two, three hundred ball pythons would come in through there during the season. Oh, wow. Yeah, what were the conditions like? Like for, uh, you know, like were they overcrowded or how were they How were they transitioned? Like when the animals came in, what was it like? How were they well, kept? I actually still have some of the, the crates that would come in from some of the larger wholesalers. They came in in large wooden boxes and they'd, they'd put um, different animals in um, cloth bags, and then they would staple them to the sides of the container in such a way that they, they wouldn't crush each other. Um, mm -hmm. it, it was quite interesting. And the box would have two layers so that they wouldn't actually hurt each other. And the whole outside of the box all the way around has, has holes in it. So it's an, it's an interesting box to look at. We have one as a coffee table, actually. It's that big. Oh, wow. Huh. Like, I'm just trying to picture everything. Like, when I was younger, I actually went to a wholesaler one time, and um, this one was in New Jersey, actually, and, mm -hmm. you know, they had these horse troughs, like, filled with turtles. Now, like, like one of them had right. all kinds of math turtles, and there was no water in there. Like, these are water turtles, and there's no water. Cause they were actually being, they came in, and they were being packaged up, and, going right out to wherever they were going right away. And Yeah, no. But this, I, you know. The, the conditions weren't crowded. really like that. Um, in a, like, there were different rooms, like there was a snake room, and basically most of the snakes were housed separately. Um, in, mm -hmm. like, the smaller stuff was in shoe boxes. There were a few larger snakes that were housed in, in larger enclosures, but, you know, there were enclosures that were six feet long by two feet deep and that might have mm -hmm. several snakes in it. Um, there was it, there was 
a, a room that just had um, insects in it. There was one a room that was two geckos, like uh, leaf tails and other arboreal geckos. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to describe unless you've actually seen a place like that. Well, from what it sounds, the way you're describing it, you probably worked for one of the better wholesalers because, you know, we've, we've often heard, like, horrible stories of some of these massive operations, you know. Um, well, it's, so I'm guessing that you've probably worked for a good one. Yeah, and again, this was one that was also open to the public, so it it was under public scrutiny. You know, it wasn't gotcha. something that was um, pe- people would come in with their their kits and actually pick something out. So it was yeah, a wholesale okay. retail type of establishment. You know, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of the animals were on display so that people could see them. Now, from that that experience. Um, probably gave you a lot of insight on, on how to, you know, care for wild-caught animals and basically oh, what, what some of the animals, yeah, and you probably noticed uh, a lot of different things, and I, that's, I, that's an awesome experience. I mean, I've worked for pet stores and stuff, but I never actually saw the wholesale end of it. In fact, one of the right. pet stores I worked for, we used to get animals in from the wholesaler, iguanas and stuff, and sometimes they'd come in looking, you know, very dehydrated and skinny, and we would send them right back. We wouldn't even accept them, and... uh you know, it, it was one of those types of situations. So I don't know who, who the owner was getting them from, but, you know, obviously it wasn't a good good uh, wholesaler like you, know, like, like you did, right. like you worked for. But, uh, wow, that's, that's pretty interesting. What, what kind of species would you get in besides uh, ball pythons and stuff? Uh, we, we basically got anything that was available, available at the time. I actually... Mm-hmm couple months ago, I went through some of the old pictures I had. You know, at the time you could get in monkey tail skinks, you know, all sorts of they, all sorts of tortoises that really don't come in very much anymore. There were spider tortoises mm-hmm. that were coming in. Um, trying to think of stuff that's really not available anymore. Pancake tortoises. Um, just a whole, a whole bunch of things that... Um, at the time was available and it's not now it's not available. We were getting in like wild caught leopard geckos and fat tails, you know, on a regular basis. I think my first leopard geckos that I that I actually purchased were wild caught leopard geckos. Now today mm-hmm. people are knocking on the door trying to find those. I know. I know. We're getting these weird uh PMs from people in the the Middle East trying to trying to sell us wild-caught stuff, and yeah. I don't know. I mean, can't even do I don't it. need them. Well, yeah, they're not selling like the – they're not trying to give us – I mean, the ones that they're trying to trying to sell us today aren't the ones we're looking for. I mean, we're looking for, you know, the obscure subspecies and stuff. Uh, they're trying to, right. you know, sell, sell you know, Eubulfaris macularis macularis. I mean, we don't need those. we got millions of those here. <laughs> so. You know, well, the problem with things. some stuff when it came in is it would just be marked leopard gecko, and you mm. get them in, and it would be marked cave gecko, and you'd get them in, and the one time you'd get them in it would be one species or mixed, and another time you'd mm-hmm. get them in it would be another another subspecies. Um, in fact, at some point, and I'm still trying to find out if anybody's ever seen them, we got in fat tails that took up a good part of a 10-gallon tank, just one of them, 
They they had to be a good, you know, eight inches long with the tail. Maybe they were probably the size 10. of like a uh, of a super giant leopard gecko. And these were um, fat tails. These were these fat, fat tails. tails. Yeah, yep. We used to get them. I worked at a uh, at a pet store, um, and we used to get them in. And they were they were I've never seen a fat tail that big. They were they had to have been. I mean, they were moose size. They were they were super giant leopard geckos all day long. That's how big they were. Wow, and that's really interesting. You, you know, you hear about stories like that, but that's one of the stories that I know is true because I saw them. And Chrissy, working in a different pet store, saw the same thing. You know, and but nobody seems to know where they went to or where they are now. Jeez. Now, I'm yeah, trying I'm to kick, think. I'm maybe... kicking myself for not uh, bringing every single one home with me. I yeah, know, right? Well, was... I'm, I'm guessing it's probably like a, maybe it's a locale where they just grew, grew bigger, perhaps? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that it had to have been a locale. It had hmm. to be. Wow. That's it must, incredible. It must be yeah. one very specific area where there was just, you know, they had a couple of good ones that grew really big and they just kept interbreeding with each other and then... Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I have seen some pretty big fat tails, but not as big as what you're describing. Um, wow, that is interesting. I bet you you guys have seen, like, a lot of strange things. I was talking with Daryl, Daryl Burton. He's a friend of a uh, friend of the show and a friend of mine, and uh, he's, he's got great taste in geckos, and he's probably listening right now on his way home from his son's uh, uh, game today. But uh, he was telling me that they would get in all kinds of snakes and stuff, and they'd be marked, like, Honduran milk snake or whatever, but there'd be some really aberrant-looking stuff mixed in, and these were these were morphs. Nobody knew what they were right. uh, back then. Right. So you well, probably you know, I wonder how people seen were looking for things that looked the same, not right. things that looked yeah. different. They wanted the the animal that looked normal. They didn't want the aberrant. And I think now we're going and, and we're we're choosing animals because they're different. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, there's a mixed there's mixed camps, you know. Some some purists, I mean, some purists like things the way they are, and that's cool. And some people like are strictly morphs, and I mean, I I can appreciate both. Uh, you know, I, I'm glad I can. Some people are just like so against morphs or whatever, and it's just like, well, you know, why can't you just like both? I don't get it, but whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's just like, I mean. Taking something from its nat, you know, keeping something that in its natural form is awesome. You know, that's great. And but these other ones are just these are like gifts that the the laws of genetics, you know, give us to you know, randomly give us. And to not explore it and work with it and to just you know discard it, I think is a is a terrible waste because you know you may never see something like that again. And, and that's just I agree. My I think I think the morphs are awesome. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, the, the, just like you guys have some really interesting leopard gecko projects, and, you know, some of my projects, like I, I think about my projects, and I, I've got things planned five years in advance now. And I, I think the, the morph making and watching pro- projects evolve is the most interesting part of of a lot of aspects of herpetoculture. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, I, think- I definitely. Go ahead. <laughs> I think I think Chrissy the discovery first. process of, of figuring out what something might be is very mm-hmm. interesting. I really yeah. do. Yeah. What do you think? Well, Chrissy? I mean, I've, 
I'm at the point where, you know, I mean, I've only been breeding gecko, leopard geckos for three years now. This is my third or this is my fourth season, I'm sorry. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I'm still kind of at the point where, you know, every baby that hatches, I'm excited. But, you know, now it's kind of like I'm at the point where I'm, you know, making my first morphs and I'm at that point where I'm really starting to produce that cooler stuff. So it's really mm-hmm. exciting for me. I, I love I love the getting all those morphs. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I can't see it ever ending. Like, I, I mean, you know, as more and more breeders get involved, all of us can can start doing our own little unique projects. And I think things yeah. are going to be just, I don't think there's, yeah, there's not going to be any end to it. I mean, really. I mean, no, never. Are you serious? I mean, you know, yeah. even when, you know, even if you have, you know, three breeders breeding the same morph, you know, each breeder's morph collection is going to look different than another. Even though they're the same morph, they're still going to have different mm-hmm. characteristics and look a little different. I mean, look at the albinos. You know, they all are albinos, but they all look different. Yeah. yeah and I think that's definitely. going to continue to happen as you have these little, you know, pocket colonies that, you know, are just being bred with each other. You're going to get, you know, it's the same morph, but it looks so much different than everyone else's. I know. And we are seeing, like, little unique uh, things develop. And uh, it's kind of bad for me because I'm the type of person that wants to have a little bit of everything. It uh, the same way. Yeah, I think we all have that problem. <laughs> yeah. We're all, like, collectors at heart. We just want to collect one of everything. You're restricted by the size of your space and what you can actually fit in it. That's right. And if any of you guys listening are thinking that that we're going to try to, uh, you know, keep you from, or we're, we're not going to enable you, you're wrong, because we are complete enablers on this radio show. So. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely want to encourage Completely. everyone to, yes, to get more and get involved and get others hooked on this, because it's so much fun. Um, well, you know, I met you. You know, we we met at the White Plains show. We we used to, I used to vend with Bob, who is like directly behind you guys. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Aisle there. We miss you. We miss having you right there. <laughs> I know, I know. I moved to my own table. I met Bob, and you know, they, my operation just kept getting bigger and bigger. I didn't have enough room. I I needed my own table, and yeah, they moved me pretty far from you guys. That's which kind of things. But uh, who knows? Maybe someday uh, they'll they'll be able to move us you know, nearer to each other. But yeah, yeah that's a good spot. You know, I don't have anybody to talk to anymore. Oh, I'm sorry. I kind of <laughs> like, I'm like I, I don't like, I don't like, you know, being away from the people I know, but I like my spot because it gets a lot of attention because it's right across from, uh, like, where BHB is and, you know, it's like, you know, right there. Yeah, you, have a, you have a good spot right over there. There's a lot of room, too, so people aren't, like, on top of each other. Right. I know. I mean, there's so much space behind me, too. I could set up a tent and, you know, camp out if I really wanted to. uh, (laughs) I don't know. I may start doing that just like, you know, if it gets kind of, because as you guys know, I get stressed out at these shows and I I get claustrophobic. So maybe I'll just set up a tent and, you know, chill out for a few minutes every now and again if I get nervous or whatever. (laughs) You could take a nap. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I don't think I can sleep, though, because, you know, there's always... Some, something to do. There's always somebody to talk to. It's, I mean, I love I love vending. It's just, you know, it's just a crazy day. It, it's a lot day. of fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it's, well, that's my next question. Like, like, what are some of the challenges to 
that you guys have experienced with um, um, I mean, spending I think the at biggest, shows and the biggest yeah, challenge I feel is the absolute exhaustion. You know, getting up at four, three or four o'clock in the morning and driving three hour, four hours. You know that. I think the you know being just so tired is probably my biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I think the the thing that you have to keep in mind is you're usually packing the day before, or maybe two days before, and then you have to, you know, make whatever signage you're going to use for that show ahead of time and pack that up. And usually we probably get to bed around 10 o'clock at night to wake up at maybe 3 and then drive there, unpack, set everything up, try to fix whatever we forgot <laughs> and um, go right through and then drive all the way back and be fresh to work on Monday. That's, yes, and that's what I experienced. You know, even if you plan and you pack everything, you always wind up forgetting one thing, right? Oh, yeah, every time. It's either the tape or... Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> but and I you mean, guys, the show is... Good. No, no, it's okay, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you guys are coming all the way from Rhode Island, um, especially for the New York show. Yep. Yeah. yeah, so that's, what, four hours for you? Um, well, White Plains is about between three and three and a half hours, depending on weather and traffic. Um, mm-hmm. But, it, I mean, it's not it's not too, too terrible. And, and we've been doing it for so many years now. It's sort of just like driving home. Yeah. Was it hard to get your table? Because I know a lot of people today are trying are on waiting lists to get tables because there's so, you know, there's so many people wanting to get into certain shows. Was it hard for you yeah. guys to get your spot? Well... Again, it, it goes back to who, how long I've been actually in the field and the, the people that I already know there. We can usually work out to get some sort of table some, somehow from one of our friends that works, mm-hmm. goes and vends at, at the expos on a regular basis. So right. to get in may take us a little bit permanently, but we can usually either get a little piece of the table or, you know, one one of our friends who's at the show doesn't really want to go and we can grab that table for that show and see how we do, you know. But, yeah, like the, the White Plains show is, can be very difficult to get into. Um, Bruce is particular as to who actually gets in, um, which I think is a good thing. Oh, absolutely. Yes, um, you know, definitely want to keep it upscale and you know keep it legitimate. The most important thing that's what makes that's what this is so successful about that show. Um, it's right, the, you know, the class, the class of people that are there. That it's really good. Um, you know, I, yeah, no, I know but, I've been to some shows that he doesn't really um, produce. That you know, I know some of the vendors are picking up reptiles at the airport on their way to the show. And I know some vendors yes. have been late <laughs> to go to the show because the, the shipment was delayed. Um, yes, yes. Well, you know, it seems like, you know, at some of the shows there are the vendors that sell, like, wild-caught stuff. I mean, every once in a while I have taken chances and, you know, saw something really cool and I, I have tried to, you know, take it in and deworm it and get it up to spec and, Rarely was I ever able to, to, to get them to survive. 
but um, you know that leads me into uh, our next topic, which is which is really interesting. Um, now you guys decided to acquire. I remember before you even bought them, you were telling me about it, and you you went and bought yep. a bunch of wild caught fat tails. Why don't you tell us that story? Um, we did. We did. We were um, we were looking to get uh, into fat tails. We were already working with uh, leopard geckos at that time. And we really, and, you know, John had been, had had fat tails in the past, and um, I really wanted, we really wanted to get into fat tails. And so I found a, um, a you know, a wholesaler who imported fat tails, and I think I bought uh, between 30 and 50 of them, (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. had them shipped up up into Rhode Island, and uh, we got them in, and they looked like your typical wild-caught import fat tail, you know, um, all different sizes, banded, striped, um, you know, just males, females. There was no real specification. Um, mm-hmm. I asked for, you know, heavy, heavier females, but um, at this point I don't remember if, I think, I think they did give us more females than males. And they were a mess, to be honest with you. Um, you know, they had a heavy parasite load, um, you know, stuck shed. Um, they were pretty skinny. But we mm-hmm. um, we, we got them set up, um, kept them very, very warm. Um, when you first get them in, the best thing to do to start with is to get them all put away in their own um, drawer. We keep all of our animals in a racking system. Um, pump your heat up. You know, they were kept at, um, what was it, 90, 92, John, I believe? Yep. Degrees. About nine, and, 92 to 95. Yep. You almost want to cook them. Yes. Um, we, we made them very warm. We gave them each a bowl of water, <clears throat> um, a little hide place with a paper towel, and we basically left them alone for between three and five days um, because mm-hmm. you really want to let them just get acclimated to their new environment, let them get settled in, warmed up, and at that point we started um, medication, medicating them and um John, I'll let you take over this part of it. <laughs> well, before we actually started medicating them, and the, the, the thing that's most important is the paper towel. The paper towel is going to let you see what they're depositing. You know, like, is is their stool normal? Does it have anything in it that's abnormal besides? And when you get, when you get new animals in, they may still be pooping out bugs from whatever country they come from. So you have mm-hmm. to kind of pay attention. So the first couple bowel movements may actually have odd things in it because of what they were eating over there, and the fat tails definitely did have that. Um, but after that, certain animal, certain um, parasites will give a certain smell that's very foul, Um that you want to pay attention to, and um, once after that five-day period, we actually took those samples and did a fecal float, and that's the process mm-hmm. where you use um, the sugar solution, and you can look it up online. You just look up fecal float solution, um, and it it's basically made of sugar and water, and what that does okay. is it makes any eggs that might be in the stool float to the top. So you take the feces and you put a small amount in the bottom of the container 
and you fill it up almost to the top with this sugar solution, and then you stir it, and then you fill it up all the way to the top. You take a cover slide and you put it on top of that so that any of the eggs that float to the top will actually rest on the, sli uh, the cover slide, and then okay. you can actually look at it under a, ma uh, ma a microscope and actually see what it is that they might have. And from there on out, um, you can, if you have a trusted vet, you can basically say to the vet, this is what I found, bring them pictures, bring them the animal, and they say, yep, here, here you go, and you can go from there. Um, most of the time you're going to be, go ahead. No, I was going to, I was going to just going to stop you and I was going to say, let's, let's hold that thought and take our break and then we'll get into okay. the rest of this because this is, this is interesting. Um, okay. Just so everybody knows, uh, John and Chrissy are going to be generously giving a lucky listener a prize tonight, which is actually going to be a starter colony of either hissing roaches or question mark roaches, um, so you guys can decide what you want. And basically what we're going to do is the normal thing where uh, you guys call in. I'm going to keep track of the callers, and then uh, tomorrow I will do a raffle. Okay, so the number to call in, in during the second half of the show is 646-478-5331. Again, it's 646-478-5331. Everyone, we'll be right back. Gecko Nation Radio is a David Spine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more. And all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types, from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. Rainbow Mealworms is the largest worm grower in the world and selling to the public since 1956. If you need the highest quality mealworms, superworms, and crickets for your pets, contact them at www.rainbowmealworms.net. ABDragons.com is your source for the highest quality dubia roaches, whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps. ABDragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt reptile heat tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out ABDragons.com online and on Facebook. 
Supreme Gecko is a great source for crested geckos, day geckos, and other species, including micro geckos. Wally Kern is a top-notch breeder and gecko enthusiast. Visit SupremeGecko.com for his available animals and supplies. Reptiles Express is the absolute best live animal shipping company with great low rates. Debbie is the queen of customer service and will make sure your precious cargo gets to where it needs to. They also have a wide array of shipping supplies from deli cups, snake bags, heat packs, and more. Visit reptilesexpress.com and become a member today. Ohio Gecko is famous for amazing tangerines, snows, and other very unique leopard gecko projects. Thad also has some incredible fat tail morphs available from stingers to starbursts. Visit him online at ohiogecko.com and at expos in the Northeast. He is also the owner of geckoforums.net. Okay, everybody, we are back. And again, uh, we are going to be taking your calls during the second half of tonight's show. And we're also going to get into, we're going to finish up talking about the fat tails and we're going to get into roaches and how to breed and keep your feeder roaches. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and bring on John and Christy again. And, uh, John, you were, uh, you left off by saying uh, about the, the fat tails and how important it was to, you know, ch- to, um, or actually, no, you were actually at the part where you were telling us how to uh, gather the eggs of any parasites that may be in their stools. Why don't you pick up where you left off? Okay. So we were talking about actually how to, how to get the eggs to go to the top and capture it on the, the cover slide. And again, all of this information is freely available online if you if you just look for it. Um, mm-hmm. Once once you get the cover slide, you put it on a slide and you, you can actually view it under a microscope. Um, there are several books that are available, older books um, that can help you figure out how to treat your animal if you don't have of that that knows a lot about it, but will take some guidance. <laughs> um, the mm-hmm. best book that I have found was an, an actually old book. Um, it, I thought I had it right here. It's um, by Advanced Vivarium, and it's um, it goes into actually how to treat um, the how to treat basically snakes and and any any reptile. Um, it's Understanding Reptile Parasites by John Klingenberg, and yes, it's published by. I think I have that book. Yeah, it's a it's a skinny skinny book, but I think towards the middle of the book it has uh, two pages, and those two pages are worth the whole book. Um, and most of the dosages are correct for today. That none of that stuff has changed, even though I, the one that I have is from 1993. Um, I don't know how old yours is. I have to dig it up. It, it's just probably the same book because it, it was one of my older in my collection. So yeah, yeah, the same one. It, that's an awesome book. And there's a there's another online book that I found that um, I don't actually remember the name of it, but it actually has good color photos of what what the eggs look like. And that's, I think, the key to treating any reptile. You know, um, 
even even if you get something captive, doesn't mean that it doesn't have parasites. Right. Um, you'll you'll also see like at shows you'll you'll see vendors who mix all different geckos together. If they may be wild caught geckos with not wild caught geckos, some some captive raised stuff, and just a few minutes in an enclosure with an animal that that's a wild caught animal is enough for them to track through the poop, lick it off, and have whatever they had. Yeah. Well, also, it doesn't even matter if the animal is in the container. If the container or aquarium hasn't been cleaned properly, then those parasites or bacteria even can survive for extended periods of time. So if you're not using the right products or you're not, it just hasn't been cleaned at all, um, you know, that can also introduce parasites to your perfectly healthy captive bred animal. We actually try to check our animals at, at least twice a year if if they show any signs of being off. We usually run fecals on all our animals. Um, and microscopes what did you actually, are actually... Go ahead, John. I'm sorry. Microscopes are actually really cheap these days. I was really surprised when I went out to go to go buy one, how how cheap you can actually get a functional microscope for. How much were they? Um, you you can get one starting, I think, at around $150. You know, so it's hmm, a lot okay. cheaper than just going to a vet. <laughs> at least yeah. you can go to Why a vet you... with an animal saying it has this or I right, think. Right, okay. Uh, so what did you guys actually find out? With your wild caught fantails, did you did you learn about what they they may have had? Yeah, we we found a, a lot of them that had um, a lot of pinworm. Some of them had the beginning of coccidia, but it wasn't to the point where it was not treatable. It was most most animals have coccidia, but stress will bring it out, or poor living conditions will bring it out. Um, and it's uh, treatable at that point with Albon. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, can I so just, uh, just want to... Yeah, go ahead, Chrissy. Yeah. I was going to say, I just, I just want to kind of throw out there that having a, um, a, a veterinary and a reptile vet that you trust is, is very, very important. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we're... They, um, you know, they're they're a fountain of information, and they're obviously your source to get the medications that you're going to need to treat your animals. So make sure that when you're picking a reptile vet, that that reptile vet knows reptiles and is familiar with reptiles and knows how to treat reptiles. You know, just because a, a veterinarian says that they treat exotics does not mean that they know how to treat reptiles, because exotics encompasses right. birds and bunny rabbits and hamsters, it doesn't necessarily mean that they know uh, reptiles. Yes, that's right. And <laughs> I guess that's, well, that's, that is so important. Um, yeah, and, I, and I'm absolutely next... happy. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm very ahead, happy to, to give out the name of my, my reptile that he is amazing. So, if, um, you know, Me I don't too. have to do it. Uh, his name is Dr. Greg Murth, and he is the odd pet vet out of South Weymouth, Massachusetts. And you can find him at the New England Wildlife Center. 
And if you just basically Google Dr. Greg Mertz, the odd pet vet, it'll come right up. That's cool. I will, and I'll post now, the link in the chat room. Okay. And now, you said you got a lot of these fat tails. Now, I'm sure you're able to I get them right. I, and I actually have a few of them, too, which are doing good. And they're beautiful. And have you guys been able to reproduce them yet? We actually had some reproduce the first year we got them, surprisingly. Oh. Okay. I think so there may have, have been... F- uh, F1s or F2s by now? Well, the first group went out. We didn't actually hold anything back. So this year we're going to hold back more more stock. We were more uh, interested in just getting getting them to breed and get them out there the first year. Um, right. Okay. As we were slimming, slimming down the, the numbers of uh, wild-caught adults we had, just select the ones that we wanted to work with. Yeah. I don't, I don't think mine, uh, you know what, mine were still a little on the small side, so I didn't actually breed them this year. So I'll, I'll think I'll breed mine next year, but they're, they're doing very well. Um, but I definitely would like to grab a couple more from you because I think having a nice pure line of fat tails that's basically head free and it's just plain fat tail is right. is smart because yeah. right because you know now is the time where we need those pure genetics. Yep. the The nice thing about that particular group that we brought in is we knew exactly where they came from. So okay, you you have locale specific fat tails as well. And where are, where are they from? Um, They're from Benin. Okay. That's cool. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, a lot, I remember seeing a lot of them had regrown tails. Did you did you get any that had uh perfect tails? We yep. did. Yeah, there were there were some that had perfect tails. Um there were some that had no tails. Mm-hmm. We have one that's still trying to grow a tail back. Yeah. She's really cool, oh, really? though. She's, it, she's, it looks like she's almost a ghost. She's never gotten dark. She's never really gotten super light. She's always ghosted out like she's going to shut. And you did you did notice that some of them had some interesting, uh, you know, subtle variations to them, right? Oh, a lot of them had really a lot of differences to them. We even got one from somebody else, not from this group, that had a completely white foot on uh, going across three toes and a couple uh, tips of the, the, the toes on another foot were completely white, um, following mm. the scales, which almost seems to me like it um, could be genetic. But so far, we haven't really been able to produce anything from him. So we can't really prove it out yet. Okay. Wow, interesting. That's cool. Well, there are, you know, I have heard through the rumors around uh, that there are a few new fat tail morphs floating around. A couple people are keeping them on us right now. But, uh, yeah, there they are. Well, I'm sure there are. A few things. Yeah. And I think in the future, fat tails they keep going the way they are, are we're going to have a lot of morphs with them. And maybe it'll even be like, like leopard geckos today at some point. What do you guys think? 
I hope so because fat tails are awesome. And I like them because of their personalities. They're very calm geckos, so they're great for families, great for kids. They just kind of just kind of sit there and look at you. They're mellow, yeah. Like even, I just very had a couple babies. Yeah, I, I I did a video on on YouTube. I just had a, I just had a couple stinger babies, and like they were just so calm. I I took them out of the 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 deli cup where they hatched in, and they just were they didn't even run or squirm or anything. I mean, it's just no. Even they, that, from the moment they hatch out, they are they are completely just mellow and calm. Like you can just pick them right up and just you know carry them around. They really don't care. And they're adorable, too. They are really cute with those big big black eyes. They're really cute. Mm -hmm. Um, Going back to those wild-caught ones, after about um, maybe even as little as a month, you couldn't really tell the difference between the wild-caught ones and and captive bred. They were that, they got that tame that quick. Wow, that is interesting. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, they they were they were pretty feisty when they first came in. <laughs> yeah, I got bit a lot <laughs> for yeah. a couple of weeks. <laughs> but oh, it nice. was really interesting any, how quickly they mellowed out. Once they realized laying you eggs? weren't really yes. gonna do anything but feed them and pick them up, they were they're fine. Okay. So did you have any eggs yet for them for this year? Say that again? Do you have any eggs already from them for this season? We we do have a few. Yeah, cool. Yeah. All right. We, we got right, some. Right, we'll Dave on a couple of them. of them are good. Yeah. Make sure you put Dave on a few of those eggs. That's cool. I I like I I think normal plain fat tails are beautiful. I like the morphs. I think if I had to pick my favorite morph, it would be the. The regular amel and the caramel, uh, caramel, I really enjoy. I think those are amazing. What are your, what kind of morphs do you guys like? The fatties. For the the really plain morphs, uh, we have some tangerine pets. That one of them is just outstanding. It's if you can picture an orange gecko, and they have these bands towards the back of their leg. They're normal bands. Their shape, one of them has one that almost looks like a cigar band, and one of them has a complete diamond instead of that cigar band in the middle. Oh, cool. And they're, they're orange, 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 but with stripes. Regular brown. Oh, nice. And these are emails or no? These are head emails. These, these are head tangerine emails, so I guess they're just showing their tangerine face. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. I know. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they're like a deepish, deep reddish, brownish color, right? Yeah, they're they're actually more orange than than brown. Oh, cool. Um, and then I really like Jessica Smith's line of whiteouts, that aberrant white gecko that has a little bit of orange in it and a little bit of purple. She's got some know. interesting whiteouts. I've seen she's got the grayish. Here's, do you know what the difference is between those whiteouts that she has and others? Like some look like they're white. I wish they're almost I knew. like a grayish. Yeah, well, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Like some are grayish white and some are more brown. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the whiteout, whiteouts are so variable in themselves 
you know, you'll you'll go to somebody's table and you know you see this whiteout and they have it marked for like two hundred and fifty dollars and you look at it and it's like ah, I don't really want to buy that. I was hoping for something nicer and then you look at something like what JMG would produce or Jessica Smith would produce and you're like wow, I really want one of those. Great. Whiteouts are my favorite uh, fat tail morph. Yeah, they're cool. It's they're the same really that the super form is lethal, though. It is. It, it is. is. But I, I think I think with enough people breeding them, we'll figure out a way around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sooner or later, maybe somebody will be able to yeah. produce them in stable, perhaps. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And I'll recruit one a couple of uh, that patternless whiteout. I don't know if you've seen those yet, but the, if you oh, superimpose, yeah, if you superimpose the patternless pattern over the whiteout, yeah, they're they're amazing. Like, yeah, those are really well, cool. I'm hoping hoping we might get one or two this year. Hoping. Okay. What other marks are you guys working with? Um, well, we have whiteouts. We have patternless. We have some. Oreos, we have some caramel albinos, and we have the tangerine albino that has the white socks trait in it. Okay. Um, we have some zeros, and we have a, a couple of aberrant morphs that we're working with. One has aberrant spots in the back, and the one that I was telling you about before that almost looks like it's piebald. Right. And then... Have yeah, you seen from, uh, from the, have seen the Starburst? You have seen those Starburst that uh, Thad is working with from Ohio Gecko? We have. Yeah. Yes, we have. I've looked several those times cool. at the Starburst. Yeah, they're very neat. I wonder what's going on with those. Yeah, I'd, I'd really like to talk to Thad about it more. Just the only problem is every time we go, he, he's so busy at the show. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have much time to talk to him. Yeah, I know the feeling. I I wasn't even able to get away from my table the last time, barely. I know you did great at the last show. Oh, it was that was a great show. It's, I like the fact that they did one in January and then again in February. It gave people, you know, a second chance to swing by and get more stuff. Right. Mm. All right, uh, we're getting in getting into the second half now and I think uh the topic of discussion let's switch gears and let's let's get into these roaches. And uh I don't know. I have a love and hate relationship with roaches right now. <laughs> me too, Actually, Dave, me too. <laughs> I think we all do at some time. Oh I, I gotta tell you, I I'm lucky these things almost killed me over here. Um real real quick I'll just let everybody know that uh I, I've experienced I'm allergic to, to mealworms. And um, I believe that I'm also highly allergic to orange head roaches, and I believe that's what got me so sick recently where I became asthmatic, and then it developed into bronchitis, and then pneumonia, and then, you know, finally I kicked it, and I got rid of all my roaches, and pretty much feeling better now. Um, but I'm still getting a little bit because, um, I don't know, there's all kinds of stuff going on here, but... I'm still feeling a little asthmatic, but um, let's talk about, not everybody's allergic to them, though. Only some people are. But um, 
Chrissy, you're allergic to the orange head roaches, right? I am highly allergic to the orange heads to the point where we no longer actually have orange heads in um, anywhere near me because I couldn't even I couldn't go I couldn't even go into um, the area that they were in, so I couldn't take care of any of my animals. Basically, the same issue that you were having. How did you figure out that you were allergic to them? It, it took a really long time. Um, you know, eventually we had kind of, um, I think we had moved them out of that particular area and I started feeling better. And that's where we were kind of like, you know, and, um, you know, I had uh, started wearing gloves and a face mask whenever we were working with the roaches and I was doing a lot better. And we just sort of through kind of trial and error of just moving different things out of there just figured out that it was the orange heads that I was having the most trouble with. I mean, I'm still pretty allergic to most of that genus, um, like the, any of the cave roaches, the discoids. I can't, I can't tolerate. I can't handle them. The death heads. I can't even go near them. Um, I can be in the same wow. room, but I have, if I'm working with them at all, I have to wear gloves. Like um, earlier today, I ran. I went. You know, I was feeding and watering. And it was literally like I just had to lift the lid off the bin, pour the food and water in, close the bin quickly, and get out of there. And I was still pretty itchy when I finished that. So <laughs> it's so not as it bad as the orange head. Okay, but what is it about the roaches that makes some people sick? You know, it's it's kind of, um, I'm, I don't think we really even know 100%. It's, it's either the frass, you know, that's the poop and things that they live in, it could be a um, beneficial parasite that lives on the roaches. Most roaches have uh, beneficial parasites that live on them. It could be that, or it could just be some type of, um, some, some type of, you know, bodily fluid that the roach has, you know, it could be their saliva or their urine. It, it's really hard to say. Um, I find mm-hmm. that I'm less allergic when they've been freshly cleaned. So it could be okay. unjust, you know what I mean? But I'm still allergic okay. no matter what. Yeah. So it, it, what about, you know, sometimes when you actually go through the frass, you'll see that there's microorganisms actually in the frass. Um, and you could actually it, you could actually be allergic to those rather than the, the, the frass of the animal or the, the bug in this case. Um, you could be allergic to those. So there's a lot of different mm-hmm. variables. Um, the best thing to do is just, with anything, over time, being exposed to something, you can become allergic to anything. Um, so the best thing to yeah. do is just make sure that you keep them clean. If if you can take them outside, take them outside when you clean them so you have fresh air or work in a well-ventilated area with, with gloves, maybe long sleeve shirt. Um, definitely part of it, if you, if you are allergic to them, make sure, and this sounds silly, but make sure that you shower right after you're, you're finished because anything that's going to be on your clothes is going to either wind up in your bedroom or in your bathroom or somewhere where you actually... Um, spend more time. Great. Um, it's going to actually build up and make you sick. Um, I have most a decontamination protocol here now. Yeah. Most people spend a lot of time sleeping. And if, 
you drop the clothes near your bed that you just were wearing when you went through that thing, you're going to be exposed to that the whole night. Yep, yep. Like, wow, I always right. tend to do the bugs at the end of my routine. So, you know, you're taking care of the geckos, you take care of your tortoises, you know, our tortoises, and then at the very, very end, I will go through and we'll take care of the, the insects. And I leave the room immediately after. You know, immediately just take all your clothes off, you know, get them into a bag, into your hamper, and get in the shower. So that way, you know, you're completely getting away from all those allergens and keep the Benadryl handy. I burn all my clothes after. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear, your uh, your clothing bill for the month must be pretty high. (laughs) You don't have to do laundry, so that's good. Yep. <laughs> well, man, it's crazy. Well, you know, Dubia roaches are probably the most. They're becoming so popular in the pet trade today, and you guys they do are. a lot of work with. They Dubia. really are. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about them. What, what's uh, what's so appealing about Dubia roaches uh, as feeders for today in, in the pet trade? Well, I think one of the most important things is also what makes it so hard for people to get a hold of them is their shelf life when. You get a dubia roach, unlike some other feeder insects, they stay a certain size long enough so that you can feed them to the animal that was intended. Um, While, like, if you get a 1,000 crickets, if you get, let's say, half-inch crickets, by the end of the week, they're at least three-quarters, if not adult. With Mm -hmm. dubia roaches, they're going to stay about whatever size you, you got them at. Um, but unfortunately, on the flip side, it takes quarter-inch size to almost adult, as opposed yeah. to two months. <laughs> but but the whole idea, though, is somebody that's got a few geckos as pets, they can start their own colonies now, and absolutely, uh, basically, yep, and they'll have a steady supply of food for their geckos or uh, other insect-eating reptiles, and you know, they're basically paying zero for their food bills. Now let's talk about what it takes to, to keep and breed dubia roaches. Um, how do you guys okay. do it? Well, we we actually heat our the whole room that they're in. They're in the basement, and we've insulated and we've heated the whole space that our animals are in so that the, they stay at an ambient temperature. Um, preferably you want them somewhere in between this, but they're going to live in between 75 and 95. Uh, towards the bottom of the spectrum, they're not going to breed as well. Uh, towards the top, they they may, on the warm side, and they may actually start to sweat a little bit more. Um, and if they start to die at 95 degrees, their their body will actually decompose very quickly. And we've actually, during the summer, we've actually had issues where a few of them would die and the body would rot and it actually causes ammonia to form and it can kill the whole colony. So you need to be careful, especially when they get wet. If it starts getting humid, the frass will actually get wet and cause that to happen as well. Um, So basically we keep them in large, either a Sterilite bin or Rubbermaid bin, the whatever whatever size colony you want, 
basically the, like a sweater box size would probably hold maybe like 50 and something a little bit larger like the I think 68 quart I think it is uh, would hold maybe like 100 or 200 adults. Um, we layer them with egg crate. You can use paper towel tubes or anything like that. It, it tends to keep them uh, drier also. Um, we right. drill maybe two-inch holes, depending on the size. The larger ones, two-inch holes. And then we use um, mosquito screening, the metal kind. Mm-hmm so that we don't get any escapees. Um, fortunately, the dubia roaches don't really climb very well. So if you're using uh, any of the, the better quality plastic bins, they really can't climb the plastic. Um, but right. if you do run into that issue, you can use um, tape, like uh, the clear packing tape works well for roaches and crickets, or you can use a Vaseline. But we've also found that with Vaseline, um, over time, stuff gets stuck in it, and when it gets over 90 degrees, it tends to run, suitable for every condition. Mm-hmm. Well, let's be clear that, you know, when we're talking about tape and, and Vaseline, we're talking about lining the, the upper perimeter of the tub so that even if they are climbing, correct. they're going to hit a certain point right. and then not be able to go faster. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Right. I just now need I... to make sure and just make sure that you know every week or ever twice a week when you're cleaning your bin, that's a good time to make sure that your Vaseline hasn't melted off. So you know, or to reapply. Or just use the tape. It's, you know, put the tape on once and don't worry about it again, right? Yep. You can well, do that too. Even, even with the tape, you have to make sure that it stays clean. Because over time, it, it'll get a little layer of something on it enough so that they can climb up and out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And make sure uh, you you pay somebody to go actually buy the Vaseline for you so you can don't have to suffer the embarrassment <laughs> at the checkout. <laughs> right. Well, you, well, you have to buy other you... things at the same time for the reason that you're buying the Vaseline. Oh, no. there's no disguising that. There's no disguising that. It's, they gotta, they gotta run it across the scanner, and that's that. Yeah, you're, you're caught. All right, let's uh, go ahead and take a caller. We got a couple callers on the line. Uh, let's see, caller from the six seven eight area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hi, caller. Are you there? Hi, Dave. Hello. Hey, who's this? Uh, this is Soft Kitty. Hey, Soft Kitty. How you doing, bud? I'm doing okay. How are you? What's your question? Um, well, I was wondering, um, with geckos, like leopard geckos and uh, fat tails, um, is it better to feed them mealworms or roaches, one over the other? Well, dubia roaches, roaches are very high in protein which is really, really good for your, for your geckos. The problem with uh, things like crickets is that the, the gecko can actually only really utilize a very small portion of the cricket. The legs and the head, things like that, is all just going to go right through their system. And if you don't gut load your dubia roach, 
your gecko is basically getting almost no nothing out of that. It's empty calories, really. Um, so the great thing about the Juvia roaches is they're very high in protein. They're very high in, um, in lots of vitamins and minerals and calcium. They, they have really good properties to them. And they're very soft-bodied, so they're very easy for your animal to eat. That's right. The other thing and, that I want know, to mention is um, crickets have a very rudimentary stomach and an intestinal tract. Um, so you need to gut load them far more often than you would with a, a, a roach. A roach will actually um, have feeding them in their gut for quite a bit longer than a cricket. So its nutritional mm -hmm. value is much better even after a day than, than a cricket. Yeah. And don't crickets uh, have an easier way? Uh, isn't it easier for crickets to carry uh, disease and parasites to than yeah. it is for roaches, they're, they're perhaps? They're very dirty, yes. Yeah, right. And and they the other thing is they chirp, they jump out, they escape. Um, <laughs> you know, yep, they, yes. they definitely do jump. And, and they have right. this, All those this very strange tendency to, to drown themselves, which I just don't understand. Yeah, well, I think they just jump so much that they just land in the water eventually and they get stuck, right? I mean, unless they're... Unless they know they're going to get eaten and they just rather kill themselves, maybe that's what's happening. I don't know. I think that's what it is, Dave. Suicide. Yeah, I don't know. Um, all right, well, Soft Kitty, do you have any other questions for uh, for our guests? Uh, no, thank you. All right, thanks for calling, bud. Bye. Okay. All right, we have a bunch of more callers here, guys. Let's uh, let's see who we got. All right, let's take caller from, hmm, let's see. Okay, caller from the uh, 253 area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Oh, hi, David. This is Elsa Borzoi. Hi, Elsa. How are you? I'm okay. I had a question for John and Chrissy about the African fat tails. Sure. You mentioned two kinds of morphs that were albinos. And is that so? Do you avoid breeding the two together like you do with leopard geckos? Well, there's there's actually two different kinds. There's um, a caramel, and then there's a there's the albino. That, um, and I guess you could also say there's a third with the tangerine albino. But uh, the only one that they seem to be able to actually breed with something else is the caramel. Um, everything else seems to lose the albinoism in translation. Okay. Uh, I just muted Elsa for a second. Elsa, do you have your radio on in the background? If you do, just mute it. You could. No, I don't. Oh, okay. Well, that's weird. All right. Um, yeah, we, well, there's the caramel albino and the, uh, the, the amylonistic, so... Um, I basically, I guess you're basically asking, you know, like, do we cross them and do we not want to, you know, make a tainted line? Perhaps is that what you're asking? Right, right. Like, like yeah. the leopards don't cross the bells and and the trampers and things like that. Right. Yeah, we don't do that in fat tails either. No, definitely not. Right, okay. guys. No, 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 you definitely should not. I mean, you really want to be able to. It's the same thing with a leopard gecko. You want to be able to tra trace back, you know, what what you're doing, and you kind of right. want to keep that mm -hmm. stuff separate. But um, okay. fat tails are still 
very, very new. So, you know, we're just learning and we're just now starting to understand their genetics. So it's, it's so important to keep everything as pure as possible. Okay, thanks, Chrissy. Of course. All right. Thank you, Elsa. All right, got a few more callers here. Let's take a caller from the uh, 330 area code. 330, you are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hello? Hi, caller, how are you? Caller, you there, 330? Hello? Hi. Hello? Hello? Oh, is can that you Chris hear me? Hello? Yes, we can. Yeah. Oh, okay, yep. thank you. Um, Who's this? I was. Uh, this is Brooke. Hi, hi, Brooke. How are you? Yeah, hi, my Brooke. phone gives me prog- uh, problems every time I try to call in. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask if it was all right to feed leopard geckos um, hissing cockroach nymphs. Yeah, it is. I um, I occasionally feed my leopard geckos the um. The little, you know, uh, hissing cockroach nymphs. I try to find ones that are um, closer to, like, just out of a shed because their bodies mm-hmm. are softer. But, you know, some of my bigger giants and stuff can definitely handle the exoskeleton. Um, but I have, I definitely feed them off, you know, when I have surplus. Sorry, I hit a button by accident. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm starting a small colony, and I, you know, I was wondering what to do with excess babies. And yeah, it's just be careful because those they do have a harder exoskeleton than the uh, dubia roaches. So you want to mm-hmm. just make sure that you know they don't that you just feed like slightly, just feed a little bit smaller so they can kind of munch them really good. The other thing, Brooke, you want to be a little bit careful with is. Um, Hissing cockroaches do climb, so yes. you you kind of want to pay attention to that because they may actually close, climb out of your enclosure completely. Yeah, well, um, I don't have dubia actually. I have lobster roaches, so I'm already. You're already facing that, that problem. We yes. got rid of ours for that reason. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of regretting that decision now. <laughs> The the funny thing is, when we wanted to get rid of ours, we put the remainder of what was left in the frass outside, and we live in Rhode Island, and it got very cold all winter. And then in the spring, I decided I was going to go clean out the container. They were still alive. Oh, my God. (laughs) And we had had uh, Arctic temperatures that winter, so they can survive anywhere. I'm pretty sure Jeez. they froze and they just kind of woke up. So, oh, yeah. Wow. That was our oh cue God. that we really wanted to get rid of them. Well, they say those regular roaches can survive, uh, you know, radiation. Like, they'll, they're the only things that will survive, like, a, you know, a nuclear holocaust or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. It's crazy. All right, Brooke, do you they're, have any other They're good survivors. Us? Yeah. Brooke, do you have any other questions? Nope, that was it. Thank you. Thanks, Brooke. Okay, thanks Thank a lot, you, Brooke. Brooke is awesome. She's uh, very talented. She's uh, the one that made our uh, Gecko Nation Radio uh, banner and logo, so looking great. 
Um, all right, cool. let's see. We got another caller here. Caller from the three one six area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey guys, it's Angela. Hi, Angela. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great, actually. <laughs> had a wonderful cool. weekend. So nice. Um, I actually had a question about roaches. Um, I just wanted to know, do you guys have an opinion on whether to feed organic vegetables or, you know, as best you can organic, or does it not really matter? I like to feed organic because you know that the crops were not treated with pesticides. And as we know, Mm -hmm. pesticides kill insects, so that would be pretty bad for your roaches. Um, and, and you and you know that good, healthy stuff is going into your bugs and then in mm-hmm. turn are going into your animals. So we actually, yeah. um, we feed on organic food, actually, um, for that purpose. Cool. Yeah, the dry food yeah. we so use yeah, is organic. 100% organic. Wow. <laughs> what dry food do you use? Yeah. Well, you we, know what? Um, we we make- can I jump Go ahead. I, I just want to jump in real quick and add something to that. Um, you know, she's exactly right. And some people think that, uh, you know, organic isn't, you know, that much different than conventional. And you know what? Sometimes in some cases, like some vegetables like broccoli and things aren't heavily sprayed with pesticides anyway, so it's not really that important that you buy them organic. But the way I see it is with other vegetables and like carrots and stuff are, are usually heavily sprayed with some, and potatoes are like the most sprayed uh, fruit or vegetable that, that there is. That Those have the most chemicals. But Don't they have um, to almost the way, soak the ground to do that? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Um, the, way it, the way I understand it and the way I think about it is, you know, we're getting, our, even our animals and we, are getting exposed to so many different chemicals. We absorb it from, you know, in our food, our water, our air. We shower with soaps that are filled with chemicals. If we can eliminate a little bit of chemical here and a little bit there, it's just going to have an overall net benefit. So, you know, know, that's why I've, yeah, and I filter my water. All my animals drink filtered water. I have a unit that takes the fluoride out because, you know, fluoride is used to dumb people down and, you know, in history, fluoride was used in horrific things against people. And the fact that that it's in our water supply, even in, in small amounts, is concerning. So, you know, all these things, if we can get them out of our food and our water, we're going to feel better and our animals are going to do better. And I honestly think that that's part of my success with some of my animals here and why I don't experience a lot of things that other breeders do because I, I think my animals are just overall, you know, much more healthier. So uh, go ahead. I, I don't want to. Yeah, go ahead. I, so, I, I mean, you, it, it's years. always better to buy, you know, always buy in season and buy as local as you can as a general rule. Yes, right. But um, but as for the cockroaches, we we give them a um, excuse me, uh, it's a it's a grain mixture. It's all different types of grains and seeds, um, uh, probiotics, um, some different vitamins and minerals that we grind down into a fine powder, and that's what we give them. We make it ourselves. Pretty much it. It's got um, it's it's got all sorts of stuff in it. <laughs> That's cool. But all of it is 100% um, certified organic. Nice. Yep. Okay, Angela. Anything else? No, I think that'll be enough for tonight. I don't want to hog the line. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Thanks guys. Cool. You guys have a great night. All right. 
All right. Cool. Have a good night, Angela. Take care. All right. All right. So now I, I just want to share a little crazy story. What are those little roaches that are those little red ones called that are move real oh, fast? Oh, Turkestan roaches. I love Turkestan oh. roaches. Oh, my God. Well, what's their, their Latin name or their scientific name? I forget what they're called. They You're talking are, about... They, 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 they are lateral, lateralis. That's it, lateralis. Oh they're my also God. called red runners. They've got a few common names, but lateralis. I call them Turkish yeah. Yep, Turkish. Yeah, red runners. I, I know. Yep, I actually really like them for, um, especially leopard geckos, especially some of your... Um, Wild geckos, like the wild caught animals, because they're they're more um, they're more of a natural food item for them. And the great thing about them is they're great for hatchlings because they're extremely soft-bodied. So even a, a larger Turkestan roach can be fed to a pretty small baby with little issue. Um, they're brightly colored. They're deep ruby red, and they're very fast. So it really gets, gets the attention of your hatchling. You know, they see this bright red thing going darting by, and they're, that prey drive instinct that they are born with just kicks into gear, and they just go after them. So any of my and they any finicky they, go ahead. They don't climb. They don't climb, Chrissy. Right? They don't. No, no. They are. They're just. They're just very fast. Yeah. They're well, very very fast. And they and they can they can yeah and they can survive if they get loose in your home. So you got to be kind of careful about that, um, but I I absolutely love them. I think they're a great asset to um, to any to any you know. And your gecko should be fed a variety of things. You know, any animal should. So I alternate, especially my younger babies. I try to give more Turkestans just to get them eating and get you know get them really started well, and then I move them on to the dubias. Okay. One time I bought a container of them. But I love a, them. I'm a, a huge Turkish Turkish and, Turkish and advocate. I love Turkish and roaches. They're cool. They're, I, I bought yeah. a container of those one time, and um, it was on my workstation in the in the my gecko room, and I I opened the lid. I didn't notice that the 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 egg carton was touching the lid of the container. It was one of those mesh containers. So when I oh, opened no. the lid, crazy, they went flying. They ran across my floor, and I had a heart attack. And I had to I had to literally <laughs> go around stepping on them. Because they were going to get loose in the house. And, oh yeah. my God! It's the scariest, mm-hmm. scariest thing I ever experienced with roaches. But I find they're cool. That if you're very calm around them, like if you don't make any jerky movements and you move very slowly around them, they don't spaz <laughs> out like that. Ah, okay. you know, like when you reach into the container, a lot of times you're just kind of reaching in and you're going quick and you're just getting things done. But if you move very slow around them, they don't. I don't want to say spaz out because they literally spaz out and, like, start, like, just running like, you know, like you would see in, like, a New York apartment. <laughs> so if you just move really yep. slow and you're very calm, they won't freak out. And that's just an observation that I've had just with working with them. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, go ahead, John. What were you saying? What were you going to say? Um, I forgot. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> All right. Well, what is the best thing to feed your dubia roaches? Um, best thing to feed them, honestly, is a a wide variety of things. Um, feed them some sort of dry food that no matter what they'll have. Um, we usually keep it in some sort of bowl so it stays dry. 
um, because it doesn't have any um, preservatives in it. It's if it gets wet, it, it'll get moldy. But we tr we try to we try to feed it them some sort of deep leaf green leafy vegetable, um, some organic carrots. Um, occasionally, a few times a month, we'll give them oranges. For some reason, they've found that oranges will actually trigger them to um, release more babies. So if you give them oranges once in a while, you'll, you'll get more uh, roaches. And keep mm -hmm. in mind that each female should lay or spit out about 30 babies per month uh, for dubias. Oh. The Turkestans actually lay a, 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 an egg pod called an ulis. It looks like a, a thin bean, um, mm -hmm. and you don't want to you don't want to pick those up and discard them. You want to leave them there, and they'll hatch. Or you can take them and pick them up and put them in a separate container and let them hatch that way. Uh, some of when we were doing mantids, we were actually using those little egg containers to put in with with the insects so that when they did open up they'd have tons of little uh proper sized food. Interesting. Yeah. That's and that you're talking those are for the lateralis, right? They they lay the egg pod? Those are exactly, those are lateralis. How many babies will come out of one of those pods? I would say at least thirty Hmm. If, you, if you pick up a pod and actually open it, you'll see these circular tubes where the, the babies were actually inside an oolith are two two rows of several eggs that actually come out of that oolith. It's a protective cocoon almost. Mm -hmm. So I'd say there's probably like 30 or 40 in each oolith. And the nymphs are very small. They're really They're tiny. tiny. Yeah. Really, yeah. Wow. And you, yeah, you got to make sure that these don't get out. I mean, uh, with a dubia yeah, roach. They, they, they can't climb the sides, so mm -hmm. you just want to make sure you don't knock. Yeah, they won't touch your house in the north. Right. No. The dubias now, they're, they're illegal in Florida in temperate, in, I think, the, the southern states, but... Up north, if God right. a couple get out, you're going to be all right. They're not going to survive, right? No, they're not. Um, but if you yeah. if you do live in Florida, you can get discoids, and we found right. that discoids are are just as good as dubia. Uh, they they reproduce a little faster. Um, they transition mm -hmm. to the larger sizes a little bit faster, and surprisingly enough, the nymphs turn out to be a little bit bigger than adult dubias. So if you have larger animals too. Like you have some monitor of some sort that you like to feed roaches to. That's a good choice. Now, what's up with these huge cave roaches? Um, which ones are you talking about? Are you talking about the giant cave roaches or are you talking about the dwarf cave roaches? The huge ones. Oh, the giant, giant ones. cave? Yeah, these things are huge. They're like... They Four are really big. Long. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're really very, neat. They're very big. They're they're cool. Um, they're they're a little 
difficult to reproduce because they they have an, a problem where nobody really knows what triggers it, but it's, they they die just after they shed into their adult phase, and you can lose 90% of your colony to that all in one go. So, wow. Yeah, it's it's a little discouraging. We've had some where we've had maybe like 100 in the bin, and they do really well, and you split up, the, and now suddenly 90% of one of them just completely collapses, and you have like three or four babies left. Hmm. That's strange. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, it's very odd. Yeah. Um, and they need to be able to almost hang upside down um, in order for their wings to, when they uh, when they molt out into their into their adult phase, um, if they don't die, then they need to be able to stretch out their wings. So they normally would they need to almost um, go underneath something so that their wings can kind of fall down. Otherwise, their wings will become deformed. So they need a very right. specific. Um, uh, enclosure. Hmm. Okay. Um, if, that, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, now roaches—they don't actually drink water, and, and for, specifically for the for the dubia roaches, because they're the most common. Um, okay. What's the best way to give them moisture? We use the uh, cricket water crystals. Mhm. Just a normal cricket uh, water gel that you can buy at any pet store or uh, definitely at the uh, shows. You you can also okay. take carrots and soak them overnight if you want. If you get organic carrots and you want to go completely organic, you can get organic carrots, um, them into a size where you, a manageable size, and you can soak them overnight in cold water, like cold water in your fridge so that they soak up a lot of water, and you can use those to feed to your dubias. And that will hydrate them considerably. Mm -hmm. um, they, they, are most, they are mostly water for volume, so you'd really be surprised how much they drink and how much uh, vegetable matter they'll eat that contains water just to get that water. Um, Angela asks in the group, do you guys work with any Australian roaches? We don't. We had we had um we had in roaches but we don't have any of the Australian roaches. Okay. And Wendy asks, uh how do you like suppose you don't have a room that's heated, uh how would you heat your roach bin? What's another good way? Um, well you can use heat tape, you can use a, a heat light. I would, over the two, I'd probably say heat tape is the better method because it's it's uh, a little bit l less direct and it'll hit, heat the entire bin uh, mm -hmm. rather than um, desiccating the animal, you know, drying them up. And what's the best kind of heat tape to use? Well, Dave, do we need to go over this? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. Absolutely. <laughs> Flex Watt is always the best. We that's the only thing we have in our house ever had. Um, I don't even know of anything else that that could come into this house but Flex Watt. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, that's, and that's the truth. Just so everybody knows, 
be careful if you're new to heat tape. Stick with the best. Stick with the original. The inventor of heat tape is FlexWatt. It's the safest, most energy efficient, and most advanced. And there's my plug for FlexWatt. Everything in that plug is true. Watch out for imitations. They're cheaply made and not as good as FlexWatt. Yes, We've had you, FlexWatt you, heat tape in, in mm -hmm. our collections. Oh, gosh. Some of this stuff has got to be back from when I was, I was working um, – at the at the um the store. So that's gotta be yeah. twelve, thirteen, fourteen years old and it still works. I think yep. our incubator we have the twelve inch wide. And yeah, that's that had to that was a a piece that I've had since back then at least. So that's been running thirteen years. Fourteen years. Hey, and it's hatching out plenty of uh babies, so it's still working good. I know, and the uh, the FlexWatt uh, is actually for for human construction and uh, industrial applications. It's warranted for twenty twenty or twenty five years. So yeah. yeah, I mean, I have it. I have it's, old stuff. It's amazing too, stuff. Works. Yeah, it's really good. And if you're using FlexWatt, you have to use a thermostat. So make sure you you get thermostats calibrated correctly, and make sure it's at a safe temperature. Um, if you if you need FlexWatt. Uh, abdragons.com sells it, and also uh, Blake Kiros on Facebook sells it. So uh, you guys can get in touch with him with both of those uh, people. They're great people to work with. And uh, oh, we're coming to the end of the show, guys. Um, wow, we really, really got a lot of content out, right? Tonight? Yeah, we did. Wow, we could keep going. I, I didn't realize we, we so much more we could have talked about. Um, well, that's like, oh, well, it seems like we can always do it again. Whenever you want. Yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely do a part two. We'll just do a part um, two. Absolutely. Well, when's the next show? When's the next New York show, guys? Um, well, Long Island is the next weekend, the 23rd. Mm -hmm. um, let me see. We may go into a little bit of overtime, folks. So yep. um, um, if, if you want to call in now, you can call in. The phone number is 646-478-5331. Hurry up and call in before the show ends, and you'll be able to listen to the end. Go ahead, Chrissy. Um, White Plains um, is April 6th. That's a Sunday. And other than that, um, the next show will be out. Besides that is uh, Manchester, New Hampshire, which is Sunday, April 19th. That's right. I okay, love that so show. Go yeah, if you guys are going to go to any of those shows, make sure you stop by and see Loki Reptiles and say hi. Don't tell them that you, saw, you heard them on Gecko Nation Radio. <laughs> and uh, love to talk to I'll give people you anyway. <laughs> I'll, uh, at this time, guys, why don't you take a few minutes and um, give any have any closing remarks uh, that you'd like to make and give out your, your information so people can um, find you yeah, on you Facebook guys can, and stuff. You guys can find us um, on Facebook, uh, just Facebook slash Loki Reptiles. Um, mm -hmm. Other than that, <laughs> we're, at, we're all at all the local shows, um, Long Island, um, White Plains, New Hampshire, and then we're all we also do the Massachusetts show, which I believe is in Brockton. Don't quote me; I would have to double check yep, on that. Yep, it's Brockton. Okay, yep. so they keep moving it. So, um, but right now those are the only shows that we do. Uh, um, but yeah, you can you can reach us for any questions or if you need bugs, um, you can shoot me a, a email on uh, Facebook and I'll get you my cell phone number. But and that's it. <laughs> 
Cool. Well, it was great having you guys on, and um, I look forward to seeing you at, at the April 6th show. That's my birthday, so hopefully it'll be oh, a good show. Oh, happy early birthday. <laughs> you can wish me birthday on the, at the show. That's cool. Um, yeah, we'll have to but, we'll have to bring you a cake. <laughs> no, no, I don't eat cake. No, I'm trying to lose weight. Don't bring me anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it was a blast, Dave. We'll definitely have to do it again. Cool. All right, guys. Thanks for coming on, and uh, I'll let you go. Have you, have a good night, and uh, we'll talk to you. Thank you for thank you for having us. Thank you very Absolutely. much, Dave. It was great great doing the show, and it's always great talking to you. You're welcome anytime. All right, have a good night, folks. Bye. Bye. Bye now. All right, cool. They're cool people. John and Chrissy are great. Um, Definitely stop by and see them at the shows. Uh, Let's see. What else do I want to tell you? Okay, well, I'm going to play a really cool song at the end of the show tonight. Uh, But before before I come back with my closing remarks, we're just going to do the outro, and I'll be right back. Gecko Nation Radio is a David Spine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. The jazz music you heard tonight was generously donated and created by Jeremy Turgeon of J&D Reptiles. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for the great musical pieces. You can check out Jeremy at J&D Reptiles on YouTube and on Facebook. And a very special thank you to our news anchor, graphic designer, and audio tech, Steve Barker. All the graphics, audio sponsor plugs, and music overlays were assembled by Steve. Check out Steve on YouTube at BC Barker Creations. He has some terrific videos for the herb community with amazing geckos and snakes. Please support the U.S. Herpeticultural Alliance and U.S. ARC. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to support both of these organizations. Please donate to U.S. ARC so that they have the funds needed to legally protect pet owners' rights nationwide. You can donate to the U.S. ARC Legal Defense Fund at www.usarc.org. If you would also like to learn about advocacy and how you can take action on a state and local level, please subscribe to the U.S. Herpeticultural Alliance newsletter and blog at www.usherp.org. All right, everybody, we are back, and uh, my closing remarks tonight are, oh, I didn't have anything scripted, but I just want to tell you, if you guys are uh, looking for good feeders for your for your insect-eating reptiles, roaches are a good way to go. Um, some people are very frustrated with crickets because of the noise, because they escape, and there's a lot of just problems with crickets. I mean, some, some geckos will only eat crickets because that's all they know. And a lot of geckos kind of get really, not addicted to them, but they get so accustomed to crickets and that's hard to get them to eat other things. Well, <clears throat> roaches will give you that 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 chance to, to get them to convert, so to speak. But the problem is a lot of people are afraid of the word roach. You know, like when you think of roach, you're, it makes you skin crawl. A lot of people, a lot of people can't get past that. I have to tell you, if they would just change the name from Dubia roach to Dubia cricket, Dubias would quickly become the quickest and most popular feeder insect. So <laughs> it's one of those things where they kind of like this have the stigma to them because of the name. But let me tell you, give Dubia roaches a chance, everyone, and you'll be very pleased. And they're nothing like crickets. They can't escape like crickets can. 
So, you know, it's, and try to, you know, if you're working with insects, always be smart, okay? Bugs are dirty. You know, wear gloves. You know, do the necessary things to, you know, keep yourself uh, clean and safe and, you know, not, not get things, you know, gross. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, that's, that's what I've learned. Um, but, yeah, so that's, I don't know, great show, everyone. Uh, next week will be another good one. Uh, stay tuned. I'll be posting the uh, results of the, of the raffle tomorrow afternoon in the Gecko Nation group, and I'll be announcing next week's show very soon. Uh, thanks you for everyone that called in tonight and for everybody in the chat room. You guys are awesome. And, of course, everybody in Gecko Nation, you guys are the best. And uh, here's, a, here's a great song to, uh, to end the show with. Have a good night, everyone.
Songs of freedom. Songs of freedom. 